You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Ephesians, we are beginning Ephesians chapter 2 today, and it's called Tread because we're learning how to walk. But before we must walk, we must learn how to stand in God. So the actually, the book of Ephesians broke up, uh, broken up into three sections. Chapter 1 and 2 is about where we stand in Christ understanding who we are in Christ. Chapter uh, 3 and 4 is about uh, how to walk in Christ in our daily life. And then 5 and 6 is all about how to run this race against obstacles and against those things that come against us. When you understand one, you find yourself in a strong position to do the others. Um, here's a little backstory on Ephesians. It's a real place. The book of Ephesians was written to a city in the ancient world known as Ephesus, it's in what is now modern-day Turkey. And Ephesus was a one of the Apostle Paul's favorite places. In fact, he lived there three years after he planted the church there in Ephesus. It was a large city. It was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. It was a vacation spot and a big economic port city. Um, he lived there many years, but after he left Ephesus, he was arrested and sent to a prison in Rome, and that is where he wrote this letter to his beloved church. It's considered one of the greatest letters in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul. In fact, it's called the Queen of the Epistles, and it's a letter that has very little rebuke and a lot of love on how to stand, how to walk, how to run in Christ. So the last couple of weeks, what we've been doing is we've been taking a look at where we stand in Christ as a child of God, And as a child of God, he told us that we are chosen and that we are adopted and that we are forgiven. We are enlightened. We have understanding. We are heirs of a great future. We are redeemed. We are saved. We are included. We are secure. What great declarations of where we are and who we are. Now, he's about to give us some more. But just to make sure we don't get arrogant about who we are, he tells us who we're not. So what we're about to take a look at in this next section is who we're not as a person. To know where we stand, we must also, it's just as equally important to know where we don't stand. But before I get into that, I want to tell you there's like three things that a lot of us would like to believe about God, about the afterlife, about the world. These are the three things. What we'd like to believe about ourselves, even Christians, many of you at your core, you'd like to believe, number one, that at, at our core we're all basically good. You know, a lot of people want to believe we're all just, we're decent people, we're good people. This is classic humanism, uh, that we're all good at our core and that given a chance, we'll do the right thing. Society, culture, poverty, and all these things, they create problems. But people, we're not the problem. We are all basically good people. Well, here's the second thing that we'd all like to believe about ourselves, and that is that the path to heaven is found in sincerity. And morality. A lot of us like to believe that, well, you know, I'm a Christian and maybe you're not, but that's good. That's okay because all roads, many want to believe, lead to God or lead to heaven as long as you're sincere and as long as you're a good person and you find you, you can find your own path as long as it brings you peace and you're good to others. This is what we want to believe. Many like to believe so much this that they believe everyone goes to heaven. That is until you mention bad people, which leads us to the next thing we all like to believe, and that is that God grades on a curve, 
and that I'm clearly above average, right? A lot of people think, well, not everybody goes to heaven. Not, not Hitler, you know, not him, or not Mussolini, or Mao Zedong, or, or some kind of serial killer, or a pedophile. You know, those people, they don't go to heaven, but, but you are, and I am, because we're, we're basically pretty good, and God grades on a curve, and those guys are really bad, so in comparison, we're really good, so we're all going to go to heaven. Most of us are good people, we like to think, and that all good people go to heaven, and so we think very highly of ourselves. But this is what the Apostle Paul begins to tell us in Ephesians chapter 2, after he just pours out in chapter 1 that you're called, you're chosen, you're an heir, you're a child of God, and how awesome and wonderful you are. He begins chapter 2 by saying this, he says, but as for you... Remember, he just finished the end of Ephesians chapter 1 by talking about how great Jesus is. He's like, man, you're a child of God. You're a child of the king. Man, but Jesus, man, he says, he is, he's the king. He is sovereign. He is Lord. He is always good. And then he says, but you? That's a whole other story. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, he says, but as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you follow the ways of this world and, and uh, of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, who is Satan, by the way, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms of Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now that was his response. Okay, I keep seeing this blinking. All right, and I'm like, is that, is that in my brain or is that really happening? All right. If you could, uh, that's all right, we'll figure it out. It's probably following my voice. Maybe not. All right. It'll keep you awake. Not that you need it. I love this, this section of, of passage here because he reminds us of who we're not in Christ. He says, yeah, that you would like to believe that we're all basically good and that, that almost everybody goes to heaven because good people go to heaven and that that as long as we're sincere and moral people, then all paths will lead to heaven. That's what we'd like to believe. But, but then the Apostle Paul says, but let me tell you something different. This is what the Bible says about you. This is what you're not. All right? Now, keep in mind, this is a very politically incorrect sermon. What I'm about to share with you today goes against what most people want to believe, those first three issues. So what we're going to do is we're going to use the passage I just read, and we're going to walk through it piece by piece and see what the Bible says to these things we'd like to believe. And here's the first thing I want you to write it down is that you are not God. Stop acting like it, all right? He says, he begins 
by saying, but as for you, what is he talking about? He's talking about what he just finished in Ephesians chapter 1, which is that Jesus is awesome. He's great. He's God. He's sovereign. He's Lord. He's king. He's always good. But you, on the other hand, but as for you, he's a significant comparison here. He says there's a clear separation from who Jesus is and who you are. Jesus is God, good, faithful, awesome. But you, on the other hand, you're not any of that. You know, we like to say, well, we know that I'm not God. I know I'm not God. But yet many, even Christians, live like we're our own God, living on our own thrones and ruling our own kingdom and ruling our own life, and that we have the power to determine our own life and our future. Many of you, you're sitting here thinking, man, I choose my future. I choose my path. I make the decisions for my life. And every now and then I'll consult God and, and decide if that's what I want to do. And many of you, with that mentality, you're taking the role of God in your life. Well, you're not God. As for you, you're not Lord. You're not sovereign. You're not in control. Stop acting like it, he says. So as for you, you know, Job, the last two chapters of Job God has this incredible conversation with Job and says, did you ever create anything? <laughs> Can you cause the stars to, to exist? Can you bring life and death? Can you... Can you make something out of nothing? You know, he goes through this long list, and Job's like, no, I can't, no, I can't. And God's like, yeah, I didn't think so. Shut it, <laughs> you know. And so there's this attitude that we tend to have that somehow we have more control than we, than we think. Well, you're not God. Stop acting like it. Here's the next thing he says. He says in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions. At the core, we'd like to think we're good, but really here's the truth. At the core, we're all spiritually dead. We're all dead. We're born spiritually dead. You might be physically alive when you're born, but you are born spiritually dead. While some would like to believe that we're all good people at our heart, I don't know about you, you guys ever watch the news? Just watch the news for a minute, just for five minutes. Read history. Read the terrible, terrible things that have been done over the course of history in the name of principles and, and control. Billions and millions of people slaughtered over the centuries and years. You see, it's not the case at all with genocide and abuse and torture, slavery, violence, crime, even in isolated cultures, we think, man, people are always good, and it's our society that has caused us to be so evil. Well, even in isolated cultures, there is deprived individuals who kill and murder and abuse individuals. This is, this is a cultural problem around the world. This is not a society of America or Western society, and, you know, you know this is a problem everywhere. We got a problem. You know why? Because we're born dead in sin. We have a very deep, deep sickness, a fundamental problem. We're born in a state of sin, selfishness, and depravity. The real issue, Romans 5.12 says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and in the same way, death came to all people, because all sin that means miss the mark. The word sin means miss the mark. I want you to think of a, of a guy shooting a bow and arrow at a target. And no matter how hard he tries, the target just misses it, falls short, or goes past, or misses. He says all have sinned, and it says in verse 23 of chapter 3, all have sinned and fallen 
short of God's glorious standards. Man, the target is there, but no matter how hard we try, we're just going to fall short. We just can't do it. That's sin. We've fallen short of the target that God has for us. That's because we have a sin problem. This is what's known as the doctrine of original sin. Adam passed down to everyone a sin nature with a bent towards sin and selfishness. Now, I was thinking on the front row, and, and I need someone to help me out here. Does, is there a woman here that has any perfume in their purse that I can use for a minute? Anybody at all? Do you keep perfume in your purse? Can I borrow your perfume? I'll be uh, nice with it. I won't use it up and stuff. All right. Anybody else, any other ladies keep perfume in your purse by any chance? No? How about in your car? You keep it in your car? All right. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Scent bird. Oh, that's kind of cool. All right. How's this work? If it twists up. Okay. I see. All right. So here we go. See, here's the issue. This is the issue. Have you ever gone someplace that just... <laughs> this smells really bad. You ever, you ever gone and like, man, this is like putrid smell. And you're like, man, if I just had some aerosol, some, you know, something to spray. And if you have maybe perfume, you're like, ooh, you know, behind somebody, you know, or at a restaurant. Man, somebody help me, right? But here's the problem is that you're only covering a stinky smell. And so it's only going to work for maybe a few minutes because it doesn't get rid of the smell, it just covers the smell, right? It's a temporary fix because you can't fix it unless you clean it, right? Unless that person takes a shower or the house is clean or whatever the situation is where you walk into a really dirty environment and you're just kind of overwhelmed with smell. Until it's clean, there's no aerosol, there's no perfume, there's nothing you can spray that's going to fix the problem until it's clean. See, this is the issue here. We are born filthy. Our hearts are filthy, our spirits are filthy, and as a result, what comes from us is filth. Some of us act on it. Some of us just think it. And it's in our heart, and, and we're, we're, we're sinful people. And so we're sick inside. And here's what we try to do with good works is, you know, we try, let's go to church, you know, put some perfume on a stinky spirit, right? Let's, let's, I'm going to volunteer, and I'm going to spray some perfume on a, on, a, on, a, on a sick soul, you know. Man, and God the whole time is like, man, you can't cover that up because you are sick inside. And you, what comes from us is filth. And your good efforts, all they do is try to cover up a very deep-rooted problem that can only be fixed by a cleaning which we're going to find out, it's not anything you can do. Because we are born and at the core with a spiritual problem. Romans 3.10 says this, It is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. No one. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. There's no one. Inside, even the good things that we do apart from Christ tend to be selfishly motivated. What well, makes me feel good, makes me feel like I'm contributing, makes me feel like I'm a good person, makes me, you know, I want to cover up some of the filth I've done, so it makes me feel better about myself. Even the good things we do apart from Christ tend to be selfishly motivated. No one does good wholly of themselves. 
If there's anything good that comes from us, it's from God working through us in spite of ourselves. Some say, well, it feels right to me. I'll give this back to you. It feels right to me. I think, you know, I think what I'm doing is right. Well, I'm going to go this direction. I feel like this is what I should do. I feel like it's all right to do. And, you know, I just need to follow my heart. I need to follow my conscience. You know, Jiminy the Cricket told me when I was a kid, let my conscience be my guide. You know, I've always been told, let follow your heart. Well, the problem is our heart is very, very sick. It's very sick. It's very deceptive, too. And this is what it says in Proverbs 14, 12. It says, there's a way that appears to be right. You might think it's right. And it might be your opinion that this is right. But in the end, it leads to death. See, left to ourselves, we're not better. We're worse. We're born spiritually dead. We have a problem we cannot fix. And we live in a fallen world in chaos. And, and the whole world is sick. Nature, the universe. Because at our core, we're spiritually dead. Here's the third thing he says in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. I want you to hear this. This is the reality of this passage is that Satan is real and at work in the hearts of people today. It's important to know that today, right now, there is one who despises you and hates you. And it's not just some friend or, or ex. It's a spirit that is working in the affairs of this world to destroy the things that God loves. And we know him as Satan. Satan is real. Who is this Satan? How can he be real? I, you know, the Bible has many different names for him. But I want to give you some devil fundamentals, some Satan essentials. All right, Here's a couple of things you need to know about the devil before we go on to the next thing. Is that number one, Satan is a fallen angel. He was an angel created by God for God's glory. He is a created spirit. All of the angels are spirits, are created spirits without flesh and blood, without bodies. All of the angels are spirits. And they were created and designed to be worshipers, warriors, and workers for the glory of God. We are not and we will never be angels. Those loved ones that have gone on before you in Christ, they're not angels. They will never be angels. You will never be an angel, despite what the songs tell you. <laughs> you are a human being. They are created spirit. The devil is a fallen spirit. Second thing you need to know about the devil is that Satan is not equal to God. He's not even close. He's not equal to God in any way. Like all angels, he is a created being with very limited powers and abilities. And as limited power and abilities that an angel has, that's all the power and ability that the devil has. He is motivated by pride and self-glory. He seeks to discredit God. He has little to no power, especially over believers for sure, but he has no power over God. Anything that he does, he has to get permission to do. We see that in Job chapter 1. Here's the third thing you need to realize is that Satan is in charge of nothing. He's not in charge of anything. He's not the boss of anyone, anything, or any place. He's not the king of hell. In fact, he doesn't want to go to hell. He doesn't want to be there. Matthew 25 to 41, Jesus says that the everlasting fire was prepared for the devil 
and his spirits or his angels. See, man, the devil doesn't want to go to hell. He's not there now going, <laughs> send me another. <laughs> you know, he knows that his end will be there in the future. And he's trying to drag as many of you as possible to join him there in his demise. He hates God. He hates you. And he wants you to think he has some kind of power or some kind of ability. He is not in charge of anything. Not this world, not the next, not hell, not nothing. Satan's final place will be in hell as an inmate. He does not want to go there. But Ephesians chapter 2 says that the Satan, they call him the ruler of the kingdom of the air. This does not mean that Satan is king. All you have to do is read Ephesians chapter 1 to know that he is not king of anything. The Bible says very clearly that Jesus is Lord of all. He is king of all and ruler of all, not in the future, but now, right now. In fact, if I could quote the great theologian Elf, he sits on a throne of lies. Might know that movie, Elf. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Understand this. It is not saying that he is a God because the Bible makes very clear there is only one God and all the other lowercase g gods are false gods. So the definition here is that the false God of this age, figuratively, the false God of this age, all gods are false. This is a mocking title to the one who is a liar. Let me put it this way. Many of you guys, you have a small dog who thinks he's the boss of the house. You have anybody, any dog, have a dog like that? He sits where he wants to sit or she sleeps where she wants. She eats what she wants or he wants. And it's like, you know, you try to get him off the couch. You know, it's like, all right, all right, just have the couch, you know. But you can't get him off the bed. This little one that thinks they're the boss, they're not the boss of you. You're the master. You are in charge of them. See, that's the devil. He is like some kind of weaselly little twerp of a dog who thinks he's the boss of the house. And many of us, we let him be the boss, when in reality, he's not the boss at all. You are the boss of him as a Christ follower, as a Christian. Satan was crushed by Jesus on the cross, and Jesus reigns victorious now and forever. He is king now, not in the next age only, but in this age now. Here's the fourth thing you need to know. Again, devil fundamentals, Satan essentials is this. Satan's greatest weapons are deception and fear. Lies and fear. Lies and fear. He does not seek for you to worship him. He doesn't want you to worship him. It doesn't matter to him at all. He's happy if you worship anything other than the Lord God Almighty, whether it be a person or some false occult spirit. He doesn't care if it's your job or if it's a child, or if it's a good thing, or a hobby, he doesn't care. As long as you don't worship and give your life to the Lord God Almighty, he's happy. And his goal is to lie to you and for you to be afraid of him. If he can deceive you and trick you and misguide you and cause you to live in fear of him, he has won in his own mind. 
He's a liar, and he's a thief, and he comes to steek. Uh, he comes only to to kill, steal, and destroy. Here's the next thing the Apostle Paul says, Ephesians chapter 4, he says this so-called God, he says, came to cause havoc and delight us. He says, but, the Apostle Paul says, but because of God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Here's the fourth thing. While you might like to think that everybody goes to heaven and that sincerity and morality are all it takes, and as long as we follow our own path and are good to each other, here's the reality of what the Bible says, is that the only path to heaven is through Jesus. That's that's as, as heavy, as hardcore as Christianity can get. Jesus is the only way. This is the reason why Christians have been persecuted worldwide over every other religion and faith on the planet. Why? Because Christians claim Jesus is the only way. We fill our life with love and compassion and good works, but yet we are persecuted and beaten and mutilated and tortured worldwide. Why? Because we claim Jesus is the only way. Because that's what the Bible, the core truth of the, ba- of the Bible is this. There is a narrow, well, you might, well, that's a narrow-minded, judgmental view of the world. Well, talk to Jesus. He said it. This kind of goes back to our problem. You see, at our core, we are... Sick individuals who have a filthy smell. It comes from our spirit. We are sick inside. And only a bath can cleanse that. And that bath is not a bath that you can take through your actions or works. It is only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ which washes us clean of our sin. Only through Christ by faith. John 14, 6, it's the theme verse of our church. We, we say it a lot, is that Jesus answered them and he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other religion, no other person, no other faith, no other system, no other way. Satan's goal is to get you to not believe this. His goal is to get you to believe there are many ways, that there are many options And that there are other religious opportunities for you to get answers. But the Bible says Jesus is the only path to heaven. There's what's known as progressive Christianity that's kind of crept up as a contemporary approach today. It used to be just called liberalism, but now it's it's kind of seen as acceptable for a lot. And that's progressive Christianity. Progressive Christianity goes in two separate routes from traditional Christianity. And these, uh, they're this. Progressive Christianity has a, a view called universalism, which says that Jesus is a way among many ways. You know? So if you're a, a devout a Buddhist or a devout Muslim or uh, a, just a really good person and, and you're spiritual or not, it doesn't matter, uh, that, that all of us universally will go to heaven and, and Jesus is just a way there. As long as you just find a way, we're all going to get there anyhow. That's universalism. And there's a lot of churches that claim to be Christian that teach universalistic ideas. And then there's another group of progressive that's called inclusivism. Inclusive, it says that Jesus is the way, but he uses many ways to get people there. For example, Jesus is the way, but he'll use Hinduism, and that Jesus will give grace for a good Hindu. 
And that Jesus will give grace for a good Buddhist or a good Muslim. And that Jesus is the way, and we acknowledge that he is the way, but he uses all these other ways because he's gracious to us. And so we're all going to make it to heaven anyhow, but Jesus has done it. But you don't have to believe that he even exists. That's inclusive. So they're very close to each other. One is universal. All of us are going. It doesn't matter whether you believe in Jesus. And the other one is inclusive. Yeah, Jesus did it, but he did it, and he does it using all these different religions. Well, the Bible teaches us, however, exclusivism. Jesus is the only way. While one says Jesus is a way and the other says that Jesus uses many ways, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the only way. Here's the fifth thing that this passage tells us. It says that when it comes to our salvation, all the credit is God's. He says this, Ephesians 2a, says, For it is by grace you've been saved. Grace means God's favor, unmerited, undeserved. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't purchase it. There's nothing you did to, to get it or deserve it. He says it's by God's grace, by his grace, you have been saved or rescued from your sin. Through faith, this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast or be prideful or proud of their accomplishments. It kind of goes back to this great picture of what we try to do is like, man, God, don't I smell good? Don't I smell good? You know, I've, I've counseled a lot of people who, who do drugs. And before they show up, you know what they'll often do? They'll just smother themselves with cologne. It's like, dude, <laughs> you just smell like cologne and pot, <laughs> you know. It's like, dude, you're not fooling anybody, but here's what we do. Hey, God, don't I smell good? God's like, I ain't no fool. I know. There's nothing you can do to make yourself smell good in my presence. There's nothing you can do. It's God's love only. It's his grace. It's his mercy. It's his gift of Jesus, not you, that rescues you. It's not our good works. It's not our efforts. It's not being a good person. It's definitely not church attendance. It's through and by and for Christ. He gets all of the credit. And this is what's great about, about this humility that walking with God should bring us. You see, religion says, I'm doing a good job. But our true faith in Christ is a humbling realization of who I'm not as well as who I am in him, but who I'm not. So Paul is saying, hey, yeah, you, you're a son, a daughter of God, a child of the king, but realize you're not worthy, but he gave it to you because he loves you. You're not able to get it, but he gave it to you because he loves you. You're not forgiven through your actions, but through his grace. So don't get so cocky that you think you're awesome all the time because you're not as good as you think you are. You're only who you are in him, which kind of leads us to something we're going to say here in a minute. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he gives the next. He says, he says you were dead. And then verse 2, he says, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. All of us, the redeemed, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, by nature, deserving of wrath. This part, this little passage tells us two things, and the first thing is this, which is it never forget where you were before Jesus. He says, man, you were, you used to, that, that used to be you. 
This, is a, this goes back to that humility of knowing who you are in Christ and who you're not and knowing where you stand and where you don't stand. He said, man, the enemy is a liar. And he's lying to those people out there that you are so angry about and frustrated with. But you see, he says, that was once you. You were them. You were there. You were once blinded, but you were given grace. You were once this negative, angry, deceitful, lying person with a dark heart. That was you once, but God gave you grace, and God gave you mercy, and he gave you patience. And he says, so we need to respond. Never forget who you were so that you can know how to talk to those who are around you. The Apostle Paul says this to a young pastor named Timothy in a letter he wrote to him in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Man, Christians, man, why are we arguing about so much? Just stop. He said, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Not just the people you like, not just the Christians, but to everyone. He says, able to teach. From who? Are you, Christian, able to learn something from a non-Christian? Are you able to learn from the people around you that make you angry and upset? Are you able to learn through the circumstances that you have when you experience these people? He says you must be able to teach, not resentful. And look at this, verse 25. Opponents, that means non-Christians, must be gently instructed. Okay? In the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. He says, listen, never forget where you came because that was you. We're wasting our time if we're trying to get non-Christians to act like Christians. That's what we spend it. I don't like the way that guy talks at work. So I'm going to tell you, I'm a Christian. Stop it. You know? I don't like this rule, this law. You know? I don't like this, the way that things are done around here. You know? I'm a Christian, doggone it. And you're going you're gonna to look like me, act like me, and you're going to talk like me as long as I'm around you. It is futile to try to get a non-Christian to act like a Christian. They are blinded by the enemy. Our response is to Gently instruct so that they might, just might, he says, come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil. It's foolishness to expect non-Christians to act like Christians, like swearing or, you know, drugs or, you know, telling someone who's not a Christian to stop having sex before marriage. I mean, their hearts are blind. They're, 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 these are futile requests for someone who's not born again. I mean, who has no internal motivation Listen, we're not asking you, if you are not a Christian, I'm not asking you to act like a Christian today. Sometimes I meet with people, and they, man, I love how transparent they are, and they're real. And I'm not try, I don't try to change them, and I think that's why they appreciate our relationship. And that's why we keep meeting. I'm not trying to get you to act like a Christian. We're simply asking you to listen to the message and to make a decision. But if you make a decision to follow Jesus, then realize this. And this is the next thing that Paul says, and that is a new life in Christ results in living a new life through Christ. He says, you were, you used to live like this. All of us lived at one 
time gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires. He says, you used to do that. At one time, you did do that. But now, you don't. See, my goal is not to change anybody. It's to introduce them to Christ and let God do the change. And then once you give your life to Christ, we'll walk you through that journey. That's why Ephesians is so good. One and two, this is who you are and who you're not in Christ. And then in chapter three and four, it says this is how to walk out that decision to know Christ. There is a change that takes place when we say yes to Christ. You used to live like that. And Jesus, we not only think and believe different, he says we live differently in Christ. Check out this next part, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It's a verse we like to quote in Ephesians. It's on mugs, it's on posters and everything. But here's the context of it. He says, for we are God's handiwork. Some, some translations say masterpiece. We're God's handiwork or masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The context of that verse is that when you become a Christian, God remakes you into a masterpiece. See, before Christ, you're just this smelly, stinky, sick spirit that God loves. But in Christ, you are remade, handcrafted, and recreated spiritually into a beautiful masterpiece created and designed now to do good works. See, in Christ, we live differently, we talk differently, we act differently because we have been made new, recreated in Christ as a masterpiece now. Let me, let me say something controversial. You are loved, but you're not a masterpiece without Jesus. That's the truth. You are made a masterpiece in Christ. But you are loved regardless. And it's his grace extended to you that is an example. The cross is an example of that great love for you so that he can remake you. And not covering yourself with perfume spiritually, but remaking you, washing you clean through the blood of Christ. When you know who you are not, that you're not good in and of yourself, when you're not able to save yourself, then you are able to discover yourself. In Christ, you are God's masterpiece. The last thing he says is this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He's talking about the day of his return and his taking away of us into his place. And here's the last thing I want you to write down is that there is a great day coming for all of us. Every one of us, there's a great day coming. However, it will be great and wonderful for some and it will be great and terrible for others. Paul mentions the reality of hell for those without Christ. In Ephesians 2, he says that we at one time, like the rest before Christ, we were by nature deserving of wrath, which is hell. Hell is talked a lot about in the New Testament. You know the person who talked about hell more than anybody? Jesus. It was the number one thing that he talked about, and he talked about it more than anyone in the entire Bible. It is a real place. It is an eternal place of conscience. Uh, and it is a, a, well, here's some 
hell essentials. Let me give you some hell essentials. It is a place of unspeakable suffering. It is a place of unsatisfied cravings. It is a place of unquenchable flames. It is a place of unknowable presence of others. You will be alone. You're not going to go there and party for eternity with all your other rock and roll. Iron Maiden's in hell. That's where I want to go. I don't know if Iron Maiden's in hell. Let me clarify. I don't know. But a lot of that's kind of the, when I was, I'm an 80s dude, and so um, there was a lot of, like, I was a hair metal band lover, and, you know, when I became a Christian, I listened to then to Christian heavy metal bands, and, but all my other metal friends were like, man, I don't want to go to heaven, I want to go to hell, because that's where our maiden's going to be, man, Judas Priest, you know, I'm like, you're not going <laughs> to, they mate, I don't know, but you're not going to know, because you're going to be alone, man. The Bible says there'll be this unknowable presence of others. And, and the Bible also says that it is unending. It is eternal. It is a conscience, conscious forever. Jesus created it. He rules over it. He is Lord of it. His presence is there, but not in the way you want it. He is there as a righteous judge with his righteous justice. The Bible tells us that. So the question is, and this is again going back to the fact that this is a politically incorrect sermon, is then who goes to hell and who goes to heaven? Well, who goes to hell? Everyone without Jesus. It's the reality of this passage. All who fail to respond to God's saving plan. And then we're like, well, 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 hold on a second. What we want to believe, what I said earlier, what we would like to believe is the path to heaven is sincerity and morality. If we're just sincere in what we believe, and if we're just good people and we're kind to others, then surely God will give us a measure of grace because he's good. He is good, but he's also perfect in his justice. A judge who lets the criminals go free without any justice is not a good judge. Is not a good judge. He is a perfect judge as well as perfect in his love and mercy. This is what Revelation says, who goes to hell. And this is an eye-opener for some. He says this in Revelation 21. He says, but cowards who turn away from me. That means those who outright reject Jesus Christ. Afraid to surrender their life to Jesus. Some of you here today are afraid to surrender your life to Jesus. What's it going to mean? What's he going to change? What's he, what's he going to ask of me? You're too afraid. You're a coward spiritually. He says, well, those cowards who turn away from me, he says, and unbelievers, simply those who do not accept the truth, see this as fiction or have a different belief system. If they don't believe in Jesus, whether it's by choice or because they believe something else, then you're in this list. He says, and the corrupt and murderers. Those are the ones we know we like to think go to hell, right? You know, the murderers, the pedophiles, the, uh, the evil people. And then the immoral. Yeah, maybe some of those people until we realize we're all pretty immoral, right? But the immoral, people who live outside of God's standards, that's what that means. And those who practice witchcraft. We might think, all right, I, I get that. Maybe the pagans or the Wiccans or, or the pantheists or those who practice the occult. But yet some of those people are actually pretty good people. But they're lost in the occult. He says, and idol worshipers. That means those who worship any god other than the Lord God. That means every Buddhist, every Hindu. That means Muslims or other cults and religions that worship any other God other than the Lord God. 
And he says, and all the liars. That means those who lie about the truth, the deceivers, those who intentionally lead people astray. He says, this list, he says, their doom is in the lake of fire, uh, burns with fire and sulfur. This is the second death. What's the first death? When this life is over. The second death is this eternal judgment. I thought all, you know, bad people go to hell, but good people go to hell. I mean, go to heaven. I I thought just bad people uh, are, are the hell people, right? Well, the Bible says in Revelation 20, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown in the lake of fire. Now, the Bible tells us that this is a a big determining factor. How do you get your name on the waiting list? How do you get your name in that reservation book? Through Jesus Christ. We looked at this passage earlier. Jesus is the only way. He's the only way. He is the only host. He is the one whose name is written in blood. And when I get there, I'm not just going to have my name in some book. It's going to be written in the very blood of Jesus Christ. There is no area of life where this is not true. John 3, 3 says, uh, unless a man be born again, he will never see the kingdom of God. Well, some will say, well, it's, but what if you're just sincere? I mean, I'm sincere. This person sincerely believes what they believe. How can that be wrong? How come religion is the only place we give this freedom there is in no, other, in no other situation on earth, in no other area of life, will sincerity ever make a bad choice right. If you are given the wrong medicine and you sincerely take this medicine, and if it's the wrong medicine, it still hurts you and could kill you. And no matter how sincere you are about this medicine, if it's the wrong medicine, it will take your life, possibly. Oh, what if the guy, well, you have surgery where they were supposed to take off my left arm, not my right arm, right? It's like, oh, well, I'm really sorry. I sincerely thought it was the left arm. It doesn't make a right. <laughs> Literally, that was a good little pun. It doesn't fix. The, there's nothing that can, can change that decision. A flight route. If you're on a plane and, and the guy says, well, I I." sincerely thought we were going to New York and he lands in L.A. It doesn't matter how sincere he was in his route when he lands. It doesn't make it right regardless of his sincerity. Why do we think that somehow in religion, in spirituality, that if we're sincere, even if we're sincerely wrong, it doesn't matter as long as we're sincere, that somehow we'll make it right. It doesn't work that way. Will God give grace to some of you that went, well, what about those that have never heard? What about, you know, I just read, uh, you know, this last week, a drone, I'm sure that really freaked out the people, a drone discovered a, an unreached people group in South America, which they're doing all the time. It's like, just leave them alone, you know. It's like, this drone, like, ah, oh, you know, and all of a sudden they got a new God, and it looks like a robot. They don't even know what it is. But, like, they discovered a new people. Well, what about these people groups that have never heard? Surely there's an opportunity for them to go to heaven. You see, this goes back to the fundamental problem that we have, the spiritual stench that we have. You think, well, God grades on a curve, so if they're sincere in what they believe and they've never had a chance to hear, then maybe they're going to go to heaven. 
But the problem is we're, it's not that Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And without Christ, we're still dead. The fundamental issue is we're dead spiritually. Every one of us, we're spiritually dead. And without Jesus Christ, the Bible says there is no other name by which man can be saved except Jesus. He's the only way. There is no other way. There's no option. Their good efforts, their good works, their sincerity, their morality does not exclude them from the problem that they are spiritually dead and sick. We are dead in sin and rebellious in heart. Sins we commit are a result of the sin nature we are born with. Because of this sin, we are due punishment, as is every crime. And if God did not judge those sins, he would not be a perfect justice. But because of this punishment, we are in need of salvation. Even all of creation awaits redemption. But God, through Christ, extends to us this perfect mercy in light of his perfect justice. See, here's the reality. Every person on planet will either give account for our own sins or through faith we will look to Jesus to pay the debt. The account has been paid through his blood that we must receive by faith. In fact, the Bible says that how will they know unless they are told? And how can they be told unless we go? And how will we go unless we're sent? But if we look at the great command, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. Listen, this is why we do missions. This is why we have church. This is why we do outreach. This is why we care about the world. Because they are lost, dead in their sin without Christ. And they need to hear of the hope of Jesus. If everybody's just going to get a free ride, then why should we go to that tribe? Why should we go to that village in India? Why should we care about that family in Africa? Why should we care if they're just going to get a free ride? It's just best if they don't know. But the reality is they're dead in sin, and only Jesus is the way. So we must go. Hell is a place of wrath, justice, and love. Like love... How can hell be a place of love? Hell's reality and the pain are what led Jesus to the cross to suffer. Hell points to love. Hell points to the cross. God's love rescuing us. Ephesians, Paul says this in chapter 2. He says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Hell, look at the next verse. But because of his great love, For us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our sin and transgressions, it's by grace you've been saved. God is good, perfect in justice and mercy. Everyone will have to answer to God for our sin, even you. But here's the good news, his grace. I want to end with this passage, and I want to pray for you. Psalm 89, 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Righteousness and justice. Love and faithfulness go before you. Paul mentions the reality of hell for those without Christ and reminds of the reality of heaven for those with Christ. Who we are and who we're not. It's just as important as knowing What it means to be a child of God is to know what it means to be human. 
and that is someone who's in need of a healer. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that, God, you have given us a picture of salvation and your love through Jesus Christ. God, thank you so much that you gave uh, your life uh, through Jesus, God, so that we might not have to die that second death. God, if we will be born spiritually, a second birth, if we're born spiritually, Lord, that we can have eternal life and only die in this life but never experience that second death. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that, that we can acknowledge that by faith today through you. No amount of cologne or perfume will ever cover us. Only the blood of Jesus can cover our sickness, our sin, and our stench. So, Father, I pray if there's anyone here right now that needs to acknowledge you as their king, as their savior, Lord, I pray that they would do it right now. If you're here right now and you're saying, you know what, that's me today. I want to acknowledge Christ as my king, as my Lord, and I want to bow the knee to him out of his love for me, not out of fear of hell, but out of his love for me. I want to say yes to Jesus. If that's you, will you just right where you are, just begin to talk to Jesus. Say, Jesus, here I am. Here's my life. Go ahead and tell him, God, here's my life. Here I am. I submit to you as king of my life. Forgive me of my sin. By faith, I believe in you, Jesus, as the Savior. By faith, I believe that you died and rose again. Thank you for your grace that saved me in spite of me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. May have the ushers come forward. We're going to close our service with a time of giving. And thank you for being faithful. There are different ways that you can do that. Um, you can give in the bucket. You can give online. You can give text giving. And while the offering is going, I want to say this one thing. It's something I really like to say when it comes to uh, the Bible says, John 3, 3, that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they be born again. And that it's just a second birth. So listen to this. The Bible says that the lake of fire is the second death. Listen, if you are born twice, you only die once. But if you're only born once, you'll die twice. Do you understand that? If you're born twice, you'll only experience death in this life but live forever uh, in the joy of the Father. But if you're only born once in this life and you're not born again in this life, then you'll actually experience two deaths, the death in this life into a lake of fire, which is called the second death and eternal destruction, conscious destruction. So, you know, are you born again? It's by faith that we are made new. If you'd like to know more about that, then I'll be here hanging out. would love to talk to you about it. And uh, let's all stand. very politically incorrect sermon today. I love preaching through the Bible. Next week, the Apostle Paul goes back to who you are as a Christ follower as we wrap up chapter 2. Don't miss it. Jesus is the living way. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.